Well, hey, church family, I hope you're doing well. I am so, so thankful to be able to be here today and to be able to share with you. I'm thankful for this office where we get to do this for our team that leads worship every week and for John and Meg who do all the behind the scenes video editing and all of that kind of stuff. Thankful for you uh, that you're staying engaged, that you're committed to this church family, uh, that you're growing and that God is, is doing good things in your life. Um, just, yeah, I just feel overwhelming gratitude today. Thank you for those uh, who have commented on my beard growth. Uh, a couple of you sent me texts say, hey, I like the beard. That's awesome. I always appreciate a cheap compliment. So thank you uh, for that. I'll take those anytime. But seriously, just so thankful for you. Uh, before I dive into the word, there's just a couple things that I wanted to share, kind of some pastoral kind of leadership things that are on my heart uh, before we dive into the message. So the first thing is this. I want you to know as your pastor that I am very aware of so many of the difficulties that are going on in the world right now and have been going on for the last year. Um, all of the, the issues that are caused by COVID, sickness, losing loved ones, losing jobs, losing income, all of the debate that surrounds what's the right approach to that. I'm so aware of that, I'm aware of the political and cultural turmoil that's been going on in the world. Uh, especially we, we were naive to think that turning the corner into 2021, everything would just magically get better. Uh, because the first few weeks of, of, of this year have been a little rough, even more rough. Uh, a little is probably a way understatement. It's been a challenging few weeks for us. I am so aware of those things and, and, and more. I'm not saying that uh, in any kind of prideful way. Actually, what I'm, I want you to know is um, that as your pastor, I often wrestle with, God, what, how do I speak into this? What do I say here? What's, what's the right approach to help people grow in kind of a biblical worldview and a, and a Jesus-centered view? Um, and I think it's important that we do that um, and that we talk about those kinds of things. At the same time, the conviction that's in my heart right now for our church is that God wants us to turn our gaze kind of upward towards him, that he wants our minds and our hearts focused on things above rather than things below, that he's calling us, like I've been saying, into this uh, renewed love with him, this new the kind of a renewed relationship of him uh, with, with him, where he is our first love. And so what that means is we're not ignorant to what's going on in the culture. We're not turning a deaf ear. We have one ear to the culture, but we're, we're kind of turning our gaze a little bit off of the chaos that's going on in the world to focus on him. And that's important because Jesus said, look, you are going to have troubles. So he promised his people that we're going to encounter difficulties. And what's going on in the world is not going to stop anytime soon. It may not be COVID. It may not be Republicans versus Democrat, but the world will continue to have crises. And what I believe that God wants us to, is to have ourselves fixed in heaven first, our, our first love right that helps inform how we engage in all of the other things that are going on in the world. And I think that that's God's heart for us. If I could be so bold to say I really have a, a Holy Spirit kind of conviction that the picture that he gives me is that, or that I have in my mind is that we're meant to turn up the volume knob on our love for God and God's love for us. We're meant to turn up the volume on that right now, not to turn down the volume on the rest of the culture, but that we've got to hear his voice loud and clear in this right now. And so I just want you to know that. Um, the second thing is I, I have an appeal to you. Um, I want you to make sure that you're staying engaged with us on Sundays online. 
And this is not coming from any kind of place of uh, that there's a problem or anything like that. Here's what I want you to know. I believe that God is speaking something right now into the life of our church that's so important for every person who calls this church home to hear and to stay engaged with. You know, sometimes we have a mentality about church that I go to church to hear something that's good for me and important for me. And there's certainly some truth in that. Uh, it's certainly good to go and want to hear God and want to hear God for me. But right now, I think that there's something that God is saying to us collectively as a family. And like what we do on Sunday morning, even though we can't be in one building together, the Holy Spirit is not contained within a building. He's in the family of God. And so right now, I think that God is saying something to us about this whole first love thing that he wants every person that calls our church home to hear. And it's so critically important that we stay engaged. And again, this isn't coming because there's been like any drop in like online viewings or any of that kind of stuff. That's, that's not true, actually. Things are going really well, but I want to make sure that every person goes on this ride with us. So if you've happened to drop off watching a couple weeks here and there, go back and watch the beginning of this series. Catch, catch back up with us. If you know there are friends or family who for whatever reason, just haven't been engaged, tap them and say, hey, you need to watch this. I think that your very soul, <laughs> like the, the health and the life that God wants to put in you is, is gonna be really formed in this and the life of our church is gonna be formed in this. So I'm asking you as your pastor to kind of re-engage, recommit yourself to say, you know what? I'm going to be a part of this because God is doing something that's bigger than just me and I need to be a part of it. It's like the family dinner table. We all gather around the, to this, this dinner table and we have this, this meal, this feast on the word and communion and worship together. It's so important that we do that. So please, please, please continue to stay engaged and then let's see what God is going to do. All right, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Lord, I'm so thankful for every single family that, that um, every individual, every single person, God, that's watching this here in Wakanda Island Lake, around the country, those who are watching in distant places, God, I'm so thankful for them, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're working in their hearts and in their minds, Lord, to awaken their spirit to what you want to say and what you want to do. Lord, and I pray that today just won't be words that I say, God, I pray that this will be the very word of God piercing through everything, God, to, to say so clearly what it is that you want to say. So I pray, Lord, that every heart listening and watching would posture themselves to receive from the Holy Spirit what it is that you want to say. I pray, Father, that your voice will be so clear and that, Jesus, that your love will just overshadow and, 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 and bring light to everything in our lives that needs to be brought to the surface, Lord, that you want to redeem and restore and bring life to. Lord, and I pray you help me to do this in humility and love and grace and in truth. In your name, amen. All right, so let's dive in. We've been talking about this idea of first love for the last few weeks. Uh, uh, the, the basic framework here we've been saying is that love is primarily about desire and devotion. Um, I can go back and listen to that. And that God wants to be our first love, not just, uh, he doesn't want um, us just to love him like we love everything else. He wants to be our first love. We're going to unpack that a little bit more today and then over the coming weeks. But here's the main idea I want to go after today. 
that God wants to be your first love. And he doesn't just want this from you. He wants this for you. God wants to be your first love. And he doesn't just want love from you. He actually wants this for you. Again, God is not one thing or person uh, to be kind of desired and to give, get our devotion along other things. He's meant to be our very first thing, the most important thing, our whole life revolving around who he is and our whole being oriented toward him. So we're going to have more again on that later. And the revelation and the unfolding story of scripture that we're going to see uh, today and then uh, and then beyond is is that he has made us in a very particular kind of way. He's made us in his own image, and he's made us uh, with a uh, it's like a skilled craftsman has a specific image in his mind of what he wants his creation to look like. And God has made us in his image in this very particular kind of way. We were made to walk with God. Uh, you go back to the beginning story of the first couple pages of the Bible. You have Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with God. We were meant to live in relationship with God. And we were meant to desire him above all else and be devoted to him above all else. We, that is our design. It's how we were made. God put in us a desire that only he can fulfill. That a uh, relationship with him can only fulfill. Um, the, the way that helps me think about it is this, like cars are designed to move forward. Everything in the car is oriented kind of around a person being able to get in the car and drive forward. Like the, everything is positioned in that way. Now a car can go in reverse. You, it's made in such a way so that it's possible for it to go in reverse. And there are times where it's good for a car to go in reverse, but it's, its ultimate design is not meant for a car to go backward. If it were, then the car would be designed different. It's meant to go forward. And actually, you could even flip a car over. But again, that's not what a car is meant to do. A car or a vehicle is meant to go forward. And if it goes, if it gets flipped over or if it goes in reverse for too long, it actually starts to function outside of its design. And it will be damaged or it will damage other things or other people around it because it's functioning outside of its design. And so you and I were made, we were designed to love God first, to have him as our first love. And when we get outside of that design, when something else occupies our attention or our love other than him or other people occupy that, it's disastrous to us and to other people because we were made for him. When we give ourselves to something or to someone, our desire and our devotion to something or someone, we're operating outside of our design and it has disastrous effects for us and for other people. And so this big idea that I think we need to lean into today is that because God loves us, he doesn't want us to operate outside of our design. His heart is that our heart belongs to him. Because he loves us, because he loves you, he knows that if you have a divided heart or if you have disordered love, so loves that are not in their proper order where he is first, that it's actually destructive to you. It's destructive to me. And just to be really clear, you are his most cherished possession. 
above all the rest of creation, over every beautiful thing you can possibly think and imagine, over everything on earth and everything under the sun, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love you more than you could ever imagine. The Bible talks about us uh, as though we are his inheritance. We are his cherished thing that he can't wait to have, his inheritance. Actually, the Bible says really clearly that we are the image bearers of God. It doesn't say that about anything else in creation. Have you ever thought about that? The most beautiful mountain, the the most incredible ocean, the most beautiful flowers, whatever it is you see in creation, yeah, they are all reminders of God, but none of them are human beings, the image bearers of God. So he loves and cherishes us as his creation. And he's deeply, and because of that, he's deeply invested in you loving him, not because he needs it, although he does desire it. God doesn't need our love. He desires our love. Um, Not because um, he is demanding of us, but he is worthy of our love. It's because ultimately we can't be who we're designed to be when he is not our first love. And because God loves us, he doesn't want us to operate outside of our design. It's impossible. This is a bold statement. It's impossible for us to be the fully alive, whole human being, healthy, functioning, uh, uh, streams of living water flowing from, uh, from within us. We can't be that kind of human being if he is not our first love, if we have disordered desires and devotion. So God wants to be our first love, and he doesn't want this just from you. He wants this for you because it is for our good. And so we're going to lean into a little bit of teaching today from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about kind of the, the challenges of having these kind of divided loves. So uh, just a little, a little teaching from Jesus here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Vermin's a funny word, right? I mean, uh, it's like a, that's a word that like a villain in a cartoon <laughs> uses, vermin. Um, I'm going to start using that one more. So, so don't store up your, tre- your treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin, there it is again, do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the key line, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here Jesus is specifically talking about money and material possessions. And, and then here in the next few verses, and actually, if you, uh, you want to dive into this, it's, it's really, it's, 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 cha- it's life-changing to think about what Jesus has to say about money and material possessions here. And there's a lot that we could lean in and learn about. But I think actually what Jesus has to say about money and material possessions is true of any other thing. Uh, in our life that's competing for our love. Because I think what he's actually talking about here is this battle that's going on in our hearts for our attention, for our love. There's a battle that's happening for our desire and devotion. And here he's highlighting money and material things as one of those kind of competing things in our heart. But he adopts the same posture towards other things in the Gospels. So Jesus adopts the same posture we're going to talk about here towards family, towards status, towards uh, careers, towards power, all of these things Jesus is going to talk about at some point in time 
These things are competing for your heart. They're competing for your desire and your devotion. And so here's what Jesus has to say. Pursuing earthly treasures puts us in a bad situation. When we put too much value or the wrong kind of value on things, or in our language, too much desire, too much devotion uh, in whatever it is, material possessions, a career path, a relationship, uh, it doesn't matter, earthly things. uh, And when those things begin to capture our heart and our attention, it is though we are treasuring those earthly things. Our treasure is here on earth and what earth can provide. And what he says is, when you start to find your treasure there, when you start to see those things as desirable and you devote yourself to going after those things, your heart begins to follow that. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's like your your heart follows the things that you desire and that you want. We often think that everything just uh, flows very simply. Well, I want this and, uh, and it's just this simple kind of relationship. It doesn't actually work that way. Actually, what happens, and this is such an interesting scripture, is that the more we invest our time and our resources, the more we give our attention to something, actually, the more we begin to desire it. And so it kind of has this like reciprocal kind of effect in our lives where we focus our attention on something and then we want more of that thing. And so Jesus says, when you begin to put your treasure and things here on earth, your heart is going to follow that there. Your love is going to follow that. And the problem, Jesus says, is that these are all things that can be destroyed. The moth is going to come. The thieves are going to come. This is, these are kind of uh, different images for us, but in Jesus' day, you would keep your wealth in your home and usually you would bury it somewhere in your house. And it was very much exposed to, you know, mice and rats that might come into your house or or moths that would come into your house or uh, to thieves because you didn't have a bank in any way to keep it safe. And so if a thief knew a wealthy family and a place where their wealth was hidden in the house, whatever that was, they could easily come and get it. And so what Jesus is saying is anything could be taken, any of these things could be taken at any time. Your house, your career, your family your wealth, your status in life, it all can be gone in a second. And actually, if we had time, we could tell some great stories. You all know stories that where people had it seem like it was all together and it all was taken away in an instant. And so what Jesus says is this, instead, set your desire and your devotion rather than those earthly things in heaven. Let your heart land there, he says. Anything else that you, that you want will end up, any of those things that you treasure, that you're pursuing, that you allow your heart to follow, they're going to leave you empty and wanting. And here's the deal. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to be left empty and wanting. What he wants for you is to be fully satisfied in him. He wants us to be fully satisfied in him because any of those earthly things, even the good things, can still be gone in an instant. Yet he, as we talked about last week, is the only thing that can be constant in our lives, that can never be taken away. There's a pastor named A.W. Tozer uh, back in the 40s and 50s, a famous theologian. Here's what he says in a book called The Pursuit of God. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. 
many ordinary treasures may be denied him. Or if he's allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. It's basically like it doesn't matter even if he has all these blessings, they'll never be necessary to his true happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one. So if he loses these things, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he now has it all in one, and it is purely and legitimately and forever. He's saying like, look, if you have God as the one thing that you desire, that kind of heavenly treasure, then all the other treasures... They won't mean that much to you. And even if you lose all those things, it will be as though you haven't lost anything because he is the source of all those things in our lives. And so what he's wanting us to do is to lean in and listen for his voice in all of this. See, the thing is God wants you to be so satisfied in him that everything else is simply an add-on. As a father... I think about this with my kids, like I don't want my kids and their happiness and their joy and their peace in life to be rooted into things that can be taken away in any moment. As a, as a father, I want my kids to have an enduring, lasting joy and peace. And so I don't want them to put their, their trust and their hope in having a particular kind of lifestyle or having a particular kind of family or to, to having a certain kind of education or career path. All of that is fleeting. And if our hope is in those things, it leaves us in this really sad and empty place. Have you ever seen a kid uh, with a balloon and the, somehow the balloon gets let go and it just floats off. And that kid is throwing the absolute temper tantrum of their life. Or maybe just crying. They're so heartbroken and sad. And you as a parent, you know, gosh, I can just go buy another one of those. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a balloon. It might have cost one penny for the person that actually made it. it has no value whatsoever. You probably got it free. But to that kid, it's worth so much. What, what God wants for us is for us to hold on to him because he will never float away. They'll never be taken away from us. But everything else can possibly go. And he doesn't want us to be standing there like children when that happens and saying, gosh, I've lost everything. He actually wants us to say, gosh, I've gained everything in Christ. The next thing that Jesus says, it may sound a little weird to us. So verse 22, he says this, The eye of the lamp is the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this like uh, couple sentences here is loaded with like phrases and, and metaphors that are, are a little bit weird and, and kind of foreign to us. But... To Jesus' like early listeners, they would have gotten this. This would have been really clear to them. And the basic idea is this. Um, the way that they understood, and, and actually there's some, uh, now through science and all that, we understand that some of this is actually accurate, right? Is that the eyes take in light around us. And the, the eyes give us the ability to perceive our world, the, the physical world around us. And to, to see um, kind of how the room is laid out or what the road is like. And if our eyes are good, 
then they give us a proper perception of the world. So I can see, oh, this is a good path or this is a dangerous path. And if I keep going here, I'm gonna walk off the cliff while our uh, good eyes are important for us to having a healthy perception of the world around us. Whereas bad eyes, if for some reason I, I have bad eyesight or I'm in the dark, then I'm not gonna be able to rightly perceive the world around me. And I may make really poor decisions if I can't see that, oh my gosh, as if I keep walking, I'm gonna walk off a cliff or there's a car coming and I need to avoid it. And so it's actually disastrous for us if we are not able to see and we don't have other means to perceive the world around us. And so this is kind of a basic, simple kind of idea. Well, spiritually speaking in Jesus' day, they would often refer to our ability to see spiritually, to have spiritual perception as the eye, eyes, or particularly they would refer to it as, a, as one eye. It's like our, our soul has this ability to spiritually perceive things. And what we need is good, a good eye, a good spiritual eye, in order to perceive what is around us so that we can be informed about what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. And uh, to be able to take in the light, so to speak, around us so that our soul, so that our life could be properly illuminated so that we would make good decisions and become good people, good morally people, love God more, etc. So there's lots of these kinds of views floating around around the time of Jesus. The opposite is true, though. If I have a bad spiritual eye or bad spiritual eyes, I'm somehow blind. I'm not able to see the world around me. I'm not able to see good and evil. What that means is that I'm in a dangerous position, just like I would be if I was physically blind, because I'm not able to perceive, is this dangerous or is this good? And so what Jesus is saying here is like, we have to be careful here because what we're seeing, what we're, what we're looking at really, really matters to us. And it's helpful here to talk about this, that um, when Jesus here says, if the eyes are unhealthy, that word unhealthy or some translations say diseased is a really poor translation of the Greek. The word that's used here actually has a strong moral connotation to it. It typically is used to mean something as good or evil. Uh, I'm sorry, it means it's evil or bad. So it's not something that's just simply unhealthy, but that there's actually something wrong with it because there's a moral choice involved. So here's the imagery that Jesus is giving us. Uh, think about this. If you, uh, with your eyes, as like junior hires often do, young kids often do, kids do not do this, all right? I'm telling you, do not do this, all right? You, you heard me say, don't do this. But some kids would stare at the sun and do staring contests when I was a kid, so stupid, and see how long you can stare at the sun, like before you have to turn away. Well, the truth is, if you fix your gaze on the sun like that for too long, it can do major damage to your eyes, especially at certain times of the year uh, or in certain, uh, certain situations, and it will absolutely damage your eyes to the point where they're blind, where you could go blind. So if I was to do that, I've made a choice and a decision of what I'm, what I'm fixing my gaze on, what I'm looking at, what, am I, what I'm seeing. I made a choice about that. And the choice that I made actually harmed my eyes and so that I could potentially go blind on the inside. And that is kind of the imagery that Jesus is using here, that our gaze and what we're focused on, what our eyes are focused on, are what's getting our attention, what's, what, what we're fixing our eyes on, is actually harmful to us in some way so that it's harmful to us on the inside. 
And so what Jesus is kind of trying to, to get us to think here uh, is that we have to be careful about what we uh, are pursuing and what we're choosing to put our gaze on, what we're choosing to fix our eyes on. Because if we choose the wrong things to give our attention to, 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 fix our, give, to fix our desire and our devotion, if we choose the wrong things here, if we're pursuing those things instead of him, it will actually lead to disastrous effects in us. Our, it, it will lead to disordered desires. It will lead to a divided heart. So if you fix your eyes on the wrong things, if you're occupied and focused on the things of this earth, like Jesus was just talking about before, instead of things above, it actually is going to bring ruin to your soul. This might seem like a little bit too out there for us, uh, you know, without some concrete examples. Um, you know, there have been so many times in my life where I, I, I'm in a kind of, uh, can be an obsessive kind of person where I can get caught up in, in an idea or in something. And I was this way, not, um, I was this way in relationships, uh, when I was growing up, uh, before I met Jen, you know, I, I had a, I had some different girlfriends and, and those girlfriends meant the world to me. Uh, and there were a few even that I was like absolutely convinced that I would want to marry. I like, I had these blinders on to, uh, to the rest of the world. I want to be with this person. And when that relationship didn't work out, I was heartbroken that that relationship didn't work out because in my mind, this is the only thing that I want and it will be the only thing that will really make me happy. And if you've been in relationships and you've ever gone through a breakup, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a miserable kind of thing to go through. But the truth is, so many of those relationships, I look back and I realize, gosh, they were actually really harmful to me. I, I, I was becoming a person that I shouldn't have become in some of those relationships. So this person actually treated me like really bad. But there was still something that I needed or I wanted from that, that person. It was this, I had my gaze kind of fixed on what this relationship could provide for me. That it actually was doing things, ruining me on the inside. And actually I turned blinders on to so many good things. I almost missed the opportunity to be in a relationship with Jen because I was in that place of having those blinders on for something that actually really wasn't good for me. And so Jesus is saying, look, there are all different kinds of things in your life that are like that. There are all these things that are competing for your attention, where you could fix your, uh, your gaze on it. You could be wanting to pursue that. You could be uh, kind of singularly focused on that. And if you do that, it's going to be disastrous for you. We all want something. There's something that each and every one of us desire. Some of us are aware of it. Some of us aren't. And all of us want something that we think will make us happy. It could be a certain status in life. It could be having a certain levels of friendship. It could be having kids. It could be finding a spouse. It could be having a house. It could be so many different things. We all want something and we think it will make us happy. But the truth is that if our, our, if our attention, if our desire and our devotion is giving to anything other than God, first and foremost, it will lead us to ruin. And so God doesn't want that for us because what he wants for us is to have our attention fixed on him because he knows that is what is good for us. He knows that ultimately our satisfaction lies at his feet and, and, and in our gaze fixed on him and not on anything else. Look, his desire for you, this is what he wants for you. This is what he wants for me is that streams of living water 
would flow from within us, that we would have a well within us that would never run dry, that we would find rest for our souls. That's his heart. That's what he wants for you and me. So God's love for us and what he wants from us is that we would experience that kind of life, but we can't do that if we're chasing these other things. So the last thing that Jesus says here, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, Jesus is using this metaphor here that's a little odd to us. When we hear the language of master and servant, we kind of think about uh, the slavery that has been in our country's history that is evil in every possible way. Uh, but that's not the same as how this worked in Jesus's day. Uh, and that's a topic for another conversation. But just want you to kind of get out of your mind what you typically think about a kind of a master-servant relationship, because that's not what Jesus has in mind here. And it was a morally kind of neutral thing in his day. But the point that Jesus is making and using this metaphor uh, is that each and every one of us are going to serve someone or something. Someone or something is going to be like a master over us. It will be like a lord over us or like a king over us. You're going to give your service and your devotion to something or to someone. And if you try to, to, to give that service and that devotion, like Jesus was talking about here, to multiple different things, it will leave you a fractured person. You will just have disordered loves. You will, be, um, you will have divided love. You will be the kind of person who doesn't know which way is up because your heart is divided and you're trying to pursue this and you're trying to pursue that. And you just can't do it. The, the picture that Jesus paints here is of somebody who's, who, who just, because they're so double-minded in their devotion, that they can't move forward in life. It's a fractured person. But the truth is, what Jesus says is something is ultimately going to win. You can't live that kind of fractured life for long. There is something underneath of, in, in your heart that, you, that will ultimately win out. You will serve a master. And in this case, Jesus is talking about money, how money can serve and material things can, can serve as this way um, that is like this, um, this, serve, uh, this, this master over us that's kind of like compelling us and motivating our attention. And, it's, and, and we're actually slaves to it. And actually, we could go in all different kinds of directions here because we know that that is many ways how money uh, acts in our lives and how material possessions act in our, in our lives. However, again, it's not just about that. It could be anything could be this. I know so many people who are so concerned with safety and comfort. It's not about money for them. They just want to live a comfortable life. They just want to be comfortable. They just want to be safe. And that is like a master in their life. And they're doing everything they can to be safe and comfortable. It could be a, a certain idea of family. It doesn't matter what it is. It, it could be a, a, a certain um, perception that you want to have in people's eyes. It doesn't matter. There's so many different things that can serve as a master in our lives, so to speak. And we are actually serving that thing. We think we want that to serve us, but actually we are serving it. And ultimately, Jesus says, you're going to end up fractured, but then one thing is going to end up winning. And when it does, it will reveal what you truly love. 
Not what you think you love. It will reveal what you truly love. It will be as if you really love this thing and hate this other thing. Jesus uses intentionally kind of provocative language here about love and hate. This is in the Bible. It kind of shows how uh, there are these times where it feels like um, it's gray, but it's really black and white. (laughs) What we give our attention to, what we give our devotion to, it's operating in our lives, whether whether you're aware of it or not. You are serving some ends that you think will bring you a good life. I am serving some ends ends that I think will bring me a good life. It is, uh, and, and the, choi- the, the truth is I'm making choices every single day that are leading me on a path towards that thing, whether, no matter what it is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It will be as though you love that thing and you hate everything else. That is what is going to happen in our lives. And again, not, not that you'll have feelings of hatred towards something. It's that one is just going to ultimately win out in your lives. Your true desire and your true devotion are always leaking out. They're always coming out on the decisions that you make. And ultimately, one will true, prove to be true. And circling back kind of then to our main idea, the truth is that God doesn't want that for you. <laughs> He doesn't want you to be the kind of person who's fractured because they're pursuing multiple kinds of loves in their life, where they're giving their desire and their devotion to to many different things. And he doesn't want you to be the kind of person uh, who, after chasing multiple kind of things, is fractured and then ends up pursuing something that pacifies them but never actually satisfies them. He doesn't want that for us either. He wants your love because he loves you. He wants to be the thing that you are pursuing above all else. And again, to be really clear, I I, want to make sure I'm I'm absolutely saying with 100% clarity, God's not saying you can't love your family and that there's anything wrong with necessarily wrong with having to uh, want a big house or to be known by many people or all of those kinds of things. But what we can't do is put those things alongside a love for God. It, It just doesn't work that way. He has to be first. It as if he is the only thing that we love. And like Tozer, that Tozer quote, if we do that, it says everything revolves around that. The picture that I have in my mind is like God is like the sun in our solar system. And everything in our life is rightly ordered after him. We and the loves that we want, we can't have anything else that our life is orbiting around. Everything else has to come in second place to that. It's like him and then everything else is a distant second He wants you to love him because he loves you. And the truth is, no one or nothing could love you like he loves you. To place our loves and our desire in other things or in other people, to give the the kind of devotion that I think that God wants from us to those things and to those people is really tragic because none of those things and none of those people will ever love us like God loves us. It's crazy to think about the immense, incredible love of God. Actually, the Apostle Paul prays on multiple occasions that people would have an internal revelation of God's love. He's like saying, look, God's love for you is so incredibly big. You can't understand it except through prayer. 
You can't understand it except by a miracle of God. It's a miracle that God loves you and you have to have another miracle to fully understand the depths of God's love for you. He loves you so immensely, it seems so foolish to love anything else. And it's so tragic to give our love and our devotion to anything else because none of those things will ever give us back what God is wanting to give us. So there's kind of a pretty clear application. Jesus, just a few verses later, says this. He says, here's what you do. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things you're worried about, all these things you're pursuing, all these things you have your eyes fixed on, all these things you've given your desire and your devotion to, all those things, those will be added to you. They'll be added. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And this is, this, that doesn't just mean seek first. Um, oftentimes we can read this passage, and rightly so, that it's, this is all about the work of the kingdom of God. Seek first the work of the kingdom. And that for sure is there. But what he wants is the king to be pursued, the king of that kingdom. And he's saying all those things will be added to you. And here's what that means for us practically. If we need it, he'll give it to us. If we don't need it, he won't. So we don't have to stress about all the things that we think we need in life or that we think we want because ultimately Jesus is inviting us to experience a good father who knows exactly what we need before we even ask it. That's how good he is. And so he's saying, look, if you will set your eyes and fix your heart on me, if you will give me your desire, if you will give me your devotion, if you'll set your treasure in me and in heaven, then everything else that you need in life, I'll take care of that. And again, I said it multiple times, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. It didn't go perfect for the disciples. You have the Apostle Paul beaten and imprisoned, uh, embarrassed in front of all kinds of people, but he at the end of his life saying, I want to even know you more. And look, even though I've suffered so much, I want to know what it's like. I'm sorry, I know what it's like to experience joy in all circumstances. I know what it's like to have a little and have a lot. But this is the one thing. I mean, it's just such a beautiful thing. I want to be free and I want you to be free from feeling though anything in life I have to have in order for me to have joy and peace because he is our joy and he is our peace. And that's what he wants for us too. So seek first his kingdom. Turn your attention from the things that are occupying your energy, your mind, your thoughts, the time that you're pursuing, the money that you're pouring into, whatever those things, and turn those things to him and see how he reorients your love once everything gets properly aligned with him. Jesus says this elsewhere. He says, look, if you're tired, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. Friends, like, aren't you tired? (laughs) I'm tired. I'm tired of pursuing things that don't really satisfy me. I'm tired of thinking that the next thing will bring me happiness, that the next thing will bring me joy. Aren't you tired? (laughs) 
Whatever it is that you just feel are feeling burnt out on life. Maybe it's even this idea of, um, uh, of, of pursuing God is making you feel, gosh, I feel like I, I've tried my best to love God. I've tried my best to do this thing. And, and I just feel like it, it's not working. Worth it, working. Well, guess what? God never asked you to perform. He never asked you to, to try to, to do a song and dance to prove your worth and your love and your value to him. He didn't ask you to do any of those kinds of things. And so I just think that there's this, there, there's something that he wants to free us from and give us rest for our souls that we can find the rest that is only at his feet. Aren't you tired of pursuing a bunch of other stuff? Aren't you tired of trying to, um, to find things that make you feel satisfied that don't actually satisfy? If so, then come. Spend time at his feet. Just like Mary did. Martha was busy running around doing all different kinds of things in the house, right? Doing all kinds of things that were good and valuable things to do. Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, says she has chosen the thing that will never be taken away from her. That is what God's heart and his desire is for you. To end it, I was just reminded of that quote by a famous missionary, Jim Elliott, who was martyred in South America. Here's what he said. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I would just encourage you this week to think about what do you love? What do you want? What do you desire? And to stop pursuing things and stop fixing our attention on things that won't satisfy us. And instead, come to Jesus who says, I will give you rest for your souls. Come.